Hi, this is Jim Lesser from BBDO San Francisco, and welcome to another episode of the Fog City Chronicles. Today's interview is part of a series called The Women Who Run BBDO. Female leadership is such an important topic in our industry right now, and at BBDO, I've been very lucky to work with uh, some of the most dynamic leaders in our industry who happen to be women who are running offices and groups of offices. And I thought that if we could uh, pull their collective knowledge together, it might help to inspire the uh, female leaders of tomorrow. Today's interview is with Tina Allen, who is the Executive Vice President and Director of Data Solutions for BBDO New York. This is um, a really interesting role and a really interesting conversation with a woman who has been in leadership positions across our industry in different areas and then has had to come into BBDO and build a whole new a whole new practice really. So she has some fantastic advice I think for young people getting started in the industry and um, and how to how to take leaps in your career. She has some wonderful anecdotes about that as well. So I, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Um, okay, so first of all, the whole um, idea of the women who run BBDO really came about because of the importance of the topic of female leadership in our industry and the fact that everyone here in this office doesn't see a female leader in this office. They see me. And so I said, well, but there's all these incredible leaders all over our network, and I want everyone to have exposure to seeing who these brilliant people are um, leading offices, leading departments, leading huge accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And so it started out as this little um, experiment, I guess. And, uh, and everyone seems to have, you know, enjoyed getting to know people from different offices, people they may have heard of, but don't know, et cetera. So that's how it's kind of grown into something bigger than just the San Francisco office, which is, which is very nice. And um, Tina and I have now known each other for a few years. So I'm just going to introduce Tina and then we'll, um, we'll dive in. So, Tina is EVP, um, Executive Vice President of Data Solutions for BBDO New York. And Tina joined uh, BBDO New York's leadership team in November of 2015, so relatively recently, in a newly created role um, of Director of Data Solutions, and with the goal of making the work work even better. Um, she has been building the analytical and marketing science practice, which is this new division, an offering at BBDO where data multiplied by content to context multiplied by creativity becomes an economic multiplier for clients. She partners with Omnicom's Analec team, who many of the folks in this office know from uh, the team downstairs, um, to amplify the data solutions for our clients. So as a connector, an accelerator, and a collaborator, Tina focuses on marrying logic and magic to drive clients' business forward. Um, on the, on the sort of uh, outside of BBDO side of things, she's an executive member, member of ONI um, and also sits on Omnicom's Digital Council. She's spoken at the ANA's Digital Summit. She served as a judge at 2016, 17, and 18 Global FEs, WARC, and the DM Association's ECHO Awards, as well as being on the inaugural jury for the Can Lions SDGs in 2018. She sits on the Rutgers University Big Data Advisory Board and the Google Assembly Global Creative Board. And most recently, she was named one of 2017 uh, New York Business Journal Women of Influence in Advertising and a 2019 Trailblazer Working Mother of the Year in Advertising. 
by She Runs It. So welcome, Tina Allen. Thank you. Um, first of all, for those folks who are not in New York, would you just quickly explain what Ani is? Sure. Um, it was initially the American Women Advertising Association of New York. Um, I've been a member for about 15 years. I moved over to the executive board. Um, and they recently had a rebranding initiative called uh, She Runs It is their new branding. And um, I'm super excited next week or in two weeks to get the Working Mom of the Year award from them. So That's very cool. Very cool. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so I want to just, um, if we could start with a little bit about your background, um, especially because you have, I think, an interesting road to coming to BBDO in the first place. So just yep. at the beginning, how did you get into advertising? Was it something you always wanted to do coming out of college? You know, what did you study in college? How did that, for you, how did the, um, the whole journey into advertising start? Yeah, so um, went to Syracuse University, graduated back then in uh, SVA uh, for an advertising degree and a dual in business. Um, my dad wasn't gonna let me only graduate with just an art degree. Um, left there, and ironically, I don't even know if anyone knows this story, the first place I interviewed was BBDO New York. My good friend and roommate was Laura Travisano. So uh, her friend, uh, Ron Travisano, um, I stayed with them in Montclair, and he gave me a lot of leads to go to DDB and BBDO, but I didn't get in anywhere. And I wound up at an um, art studio then called RC Communications, and anyone who knows BBDO and Enzo, um, Enzo hired me. And back then, BBDO had just won the Apple account. And Enzo was all about computers, and he taught me everything about computers, and we worked on all BBDO's work. Moving forward, I went to another company called Wearing on the Rosa. That was a big brand advertising agency. That's actually where I met my husband working on Fisher-Price Toys. And I was kind of the computer guru who knew everything on the Mac from retouching or... I mean, uh, anything of like from Toy Fair to Perrier. And then from there, I went to a company called Rap. Um, and Rap at that point was still owned by Omnicom. And they knew my work from RC Communications and they wanted to build an in-house studio. So I went there, brought in a bunch of computers and created an entire business model there for probably 10 years and brought it out across the U.S. doing everything from... Mac and digital and, and all of that evolved from there and ran project management, built operations, ran client services, opened an office in LA, one Toyota, opened a San Francisco office, became managing director uh, of the US and partnered with BBDO on seven accounts. And that's where I met David Lubars. And um, we pitched together on a lot of pieces of business. And I was always an amor of the work and also how BBDO handled their clients. And I was considered the closer. I was the one at the end of the meeting who would come up to tell them why they had the data or how we were gonna convert clients or the analytics of how we were gonna track it. And um, I loved our partnership. And then, I mean, one day, 21 years at a company, um, I quit. I just walked out. Um, and I came home and my husband said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I need a break. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's too much and too crazy. And the next day, BBDO called me. And they literally said to me, what do you want to build? We want you to work with us. 
So I always tell people, if you don't have in your back pocket your job description of the future, um, always have it. And I kind of said, like, I don't know, how about data? And they were like, great, what should we call you? <laughs> um, and we decided to build the data and analytics practice here. Uh, and in partnership at that point with Scott Hagedorn, um, who now is a leader at Hearts and Science, but at that point Scott was running Analect and a good friend. And I said, well, we're going to need to do it on a partnership strategy because we're never going to gain strength. So uh, we brought Scott into the mix. And the next thing you knew, we were pitching AT&T and uh, kind of like all the magic happened live. Um, and since then, we've kind of continued on and built out the teams. And, uh, you know, I, I will say when I came home and told my husband I was working at BBDO, he was like, you're going to be the data person at the most creative agency in the world. I give you like three months tops. <laughs> uh, and uh, here I am three and a half years later. So, um, so you showed him up. You basically proved him wrong. Proved him wrong. And I, I mean, like, you know, do what no one else is doing. Zig where everyone zagged. Like, right. It's been great. That's great. So a couple of things I, I want to just sort of circle back on and make sure that everybody understands because there's a lot of context in that whole journey that um, if you didn't grow up in the New York world of advertising, you might not know. But um, I'm always fascinated by the, the intersection of talent and luck and the fact that you were roommates with someone named Travisano. Could you just mention what that meant at the time? Well, I mean, anyone who knows um, Jerry Delafamina and Ron Travisano from the old ad days, I mean, they were the heroes. Uh, Jerry Delafamina was actually my roommate's godfather, Laura Travisano's. And, um, you know, you really got that breath into, like, the future of advertising. Um, so that was a gift, to your point. And that, and that kind of got me bit on what it wanted to be. Plus, he had, you know amazing connections, but those connections didn't open, open many doors. But what he just kept saying is just get in there, take whatever job you can, just get in there and learn the business. Yeah, that's great. And that, that, that's, ex I'm glad you, you, uh, brought that to light because for a lot of people, if you're in college and you're in a, even if you're in a, a, a communications program or an advertising program, you oftentimes don't know how to get started. So it can be just that one thing of opening a door, even if it's not, they didn't get you a job, but they at least pointed you in the right direction and they showed you what success looked like. And, and in large part, that's what this, this conversation is about for uh, a broad audience. So um, another theme that has been, um, that, that you've tapped into that we've heard before, when I talked to Scylla Snowball from AMV, she said her first interview at BBDO, she was rejected, didn't get the job, rejected. and it made her want to Laugh work. That. Yeah. <laughs> so um, not specifically necessarily BBDO, but could you just talk a little bit about how, when you're first coming into the business, how to have a, a sort of resilient enough sense of who you are that you don't get knocked backwards by, by rejection? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and I, I try to instill this on my kids and even the young women I mentor. You know, I was number two in Syracuse in advertising. I mean, Syracuse is pretty big. So I was like, number two, I got a 398. I got a portfolio. I'm going to New York City and they are going to open the doors. Um, back then, even like Mullen advertising in um, Massachusetts was big, which is Boston where I'm from. Every door slammed. 
And, you know, very quickly after three months or four months and, you know, you start waitressing and you're like, wow, why did I go to college? Um, and I think the other thing I learned to go back to the Trevisano story is, you know, you need to lean on people who are in the business who can help you, whether that's advice, whether that's mentoring, whether that's opening the doors. Um, and just because you're ready to work doesn't mean all the companies are ready yet to have you. And that was kind of an aha for me. Um, you know, and he was like, if you're there and you work hard, someone's going to notice you. And that, and that was just it. I mean, I, I just wound up starting that way. That's great. Um, so now jumping ahead to kind of where, you know, now all, all that you've learned in your career, what do you think, looking back, what do you think now um, are the critical traits that someone needs to be successful in the business? Um, you know, whether it's the stuff you talk about with young mentees or just, you know, reflecting on kind of the way that the industry has changed. Do you feel like there are one or two key things that, that you say, like, these are, if you want to be successful in advertising, this is what you really need? Yeah. And, and it might be for any, um, any job, but I mean, specifically for women, because I, I feel like I got two boys, so I always love to focus on how, how can we bring more women up? And believe me, um, I am focused on that. Like, I dedicate time to bring women up because I think it's important. So the first thing I would say is get a mentor. Get a mentor and get a sponsor, because the voices in your head are going to kill you. You need confidence and guidance every step of the way. That mentor doesn't have to be a woman. But it's so great to have a sounding board outside of your, you know, family to professionally move you forward and give you honest feedback. So I would say that's one critical thing you need in, in moving forward and even at navigating today. Um, the second thing is, I would say, do your homework. You know, treat a job interview as seriously as you would any assignment. You know, read the trades, understand. Because at the end of the day, I always say, what's that hook that people are going to remember you by and how are you going to impress them? Um, so really critical to come forward to not just all about what you are and what you did, but how you with the company can build something better. And I think third, um, as I said, women in STEM, it is a massive opportunity in data and analytics right now. The data science role is growing at a pace that no one can compete with. Um, people ask me what keeps me up at night on the practice. It's about hiring enough qualified people. So go take a class, go learn about it. It will be the future. You can't get to AI and, and all the other things without it. So I would say um, it's a critical skill set that, that we'll all need, even outside of advertising. Right, yeah, and it's becoming more and more prominent. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about specifically how data affects what we all do in our industry in a minute. But before we get to that, I also wanted to just ask you, as you now look back at the path of your career, are there things that you look at as like key choices, key decisions you made that um, in, in one way or another, maybe they were bad choices at the time, but they then led you to learn something? You know, they led to a, a key learning or they led to an opportunity that maybe it didn't present itself right away, but you realize that that's kind of, um, you know, the, the path that led you to where you are. You know what I mean? Sometimes, especially when you're in the, in the trenches of your career, just doing your job, you don't necessarily see that something um, that seems like 
a misstep could actually be something that's really beneficial? Yeah, um, I have two on that. So the first I would say is, you know, I grew up through the lens of CRM and below the line and direct, not sexy. We used to say we're smart, we're not sexy. Um, and in the roles that I went from operations and client facing and everything, um, I would never touch my hand in creative, even though, you know, I, I graduated with creative and, and illustration degrees. And and I remember when I came to BBDO, or I was the managing director, and we were talking about work and you know, you're in a pitch rehearsal for a new business. And David said, you present the work. And I kind of looked and I said, but I'm not the creative. And he said, no, you present the work. I mean, you, I think more and more you need to step, up, step outside your boundaries. And I think more and more people who can be these unicorns, who can be a creative, be an account lead, be a project manager, are going to be the jobs of the future because jobs are going wider and you're going to be tested to be great at all of them. Um, and that's also, you know, I think the second story of how I even got to where I am now, someone said, are you really a data and analytics person? And I said, um, I didn't get a degree in it, but, but I know through my 20 years how data and marketing and analytics work. And I really got deep in it and really did the work and really partnered with super smart people, people who were much more intelligent and all that around me. And I would say, learn from them. Don't shy away for those people who know those really interesting niche um, things and spend the time to do the work to understand it. That's great. Very helpful. Um, and so I want to just touch on the, the, the subject which you already brought up of female leadership and, you know, however you want to phrase it, sending the elevator back down to bring people up or, you know, mentoring all the things that, um, that you try to do, you mentioned earlier the voices in your head will kill you. What do you mean by yeah. that? Expand on that a little bit and, and help us understand what you mean. You know, I think um, we are, and, and it's probably a gender thing, but I'm always in awe of, of through my career, I've always never taken the job because I wasn't totally qualified for it or I would never go because I don't really know how to exactly do that. Um, and you know, I think we, in growing up, the way, the way I have grown up has always been like, know it all, do it all, and be super ready. And I think I'm always self-doubting. I'm always talking to myself in the head saying, you're not going to be good enough, practice it again. You're not going to make it through the pitch. You're not going to be good enough. And I've learned myself through coaching and mentoring that, you know, confidence wins. Like, if you feel good and you look good, one of my mentors once told me, what makes you feel great? I said, a great blowout and a great outfit. I said, I got it all. And she said, great. Every time you do a pitch, I want you to get your hair blown out and buy a new outfit and you'll win. And I was like, wow, that was pretty easy. Because you show up the way you feel. And when you feel good, people know you feel good. And when you're confident and comfortable in yourself, you do. And I think in order to get those voices out of the head and that self-doubting, you need other people to sort of pull you back up and give you another opinion. Mm. I hope that answered it. Yeah, no, that's, I think it's really helpful. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that for different people, what that looks like is different. So, you know, what makes you feel good is the, the blowout and the new outfit. For other people, it might be, you know, a great breakfast or somebody else it might be, you know, 
uh, a great night's sleep, who knows what, there's a yeah. million different things. But it, I think it comes down to, it seems like the importance of knowing yourself, knowing what motivates you, what scares you and what pushes you, and then being able to sort of engineer your life so that you are doing those things. So you, right. if you know you and have a pitch, you, you prepare. And when you don't feel right, recalibrate. Like, I don't feel right when I don't exercise every day. Like, I'm one of those, like, up at 4.30 a.m., exercise. And if I don't, or maybe one day is okay, but if I go two, I'm not feeling great. I need that morning high to get going. And, you know, I don't, I learned that that's not selfish. That's just what I need to do. So I, I think to your point, too, is like figure out what you need, feed and water yourself first, and then you can go, you know, take care of everyone else and, and show up good. I show love up that. Well. I love that. It's the um, there's in the military, there's a very popular um, sort of practice around win the morning, win the day. And there's a famous speech on YouTube, which if people haven't seen it, you should go look it up about uh, if you want to change the world, make your bed in the morning. And it's yep. this military commander, I can't remember what branch of the military he's in, but he does this beautiful speech at a commencement talking about how if you just get one win in the morning, it makes you feel a little bit better and you go and you tackle more tasks. And so his whole thesis is make your bed in the morning and you can change the world. And similar for you, obviously that means 4.30 a.m. rise and shine and getting a workout. Yep. That's great. Um, okay. so. Um, moving on to um, to sort of the transition that you made into BBDO, I'm curious if from both um, a, a female leadership standpoint, but also from a creativity standpoint, if you think there was anything about BBDO that was different that that led to you being accepted the way you were, that led to you know your now success three plus years into this job. Yeah, I would say, um, and it was a good piece of advice I was given a long time ago. I. I love to build things, okay? Um, so, you know, I, I think there are builders, there are leaders, I'm a builder. I enjoy the challenge of building. Um, and you have to realize, even when I showed up at BBDO, is building new practices and introducing new um, disciplines takes time. So don't count your wins too quickly. I knew it was gonna take three years, and I really do feel like, in looking back on the end of last year and this year, like, three years, we really have hit our stride. So, you know, give yourself enough time, I think, in, in whatever process you're in to allow yourself to succeed. I think in coming to BBDO, I was always in awe of the creative. I mean, coming is like below the line, you know. Um, I, I just, it felt like we weren't having the client conversations that we needed to have. So I just actually said to someone, they asked me, what do you think PBDO has taught you in your three years? And I said, I have learned the art of client management, client relationships, and how to absolutely relate at a C-suite level and work with clients to push their business forward as a partner. I think that's an amazing skill that I never appreciated till I came here. And I think it's something that is is table stakes and done very well at BBDO. It's, it's no surprise to me after being in it why those client relationships last so long. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Once, you, once you, uh, you see the amount of effort and passion that's put into showing clients you love them, that you kind of get that inside view, huh? Um, yeah. quick, quick sidebar, could you just explain for anyone who doesn't understand what below the line means and your, 
you know, that, that term isn't necessarily something everyone knows. Right. Um, so when I think above the line, I think of brand and awareness play, right? So big video, uh, big brand play. Um, and I'm probably dating myself with below the line, but um, below the line was always the email, the one-to-one, the DTC right now, the direct-to-consumer engagement, right? So how are we understanding people at that direct level and either you know, um, digitally speaking them, programmatically um, reaching them, emailing them, and creating very personalized one-to-one communications that eventually builds loyalty builds loyalty and can be tracked to commerce very easily. Um, I think that whole world is kind of flipping right now, which is really interesting. Um, you know, ha- that, uh, you know, I kind of say there is no funnel anymore, right? It's just going wider. Great. Hel- helpful. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned you were a builder, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the hiring process, because I think one of the things that is so important as you move up in your career is learning how to hire well. So what do you look for, you know, when you're, when you're hiring, whether that's, you know, you've built several different offices and now a whole practice within a big office at BBDO. What are the, what are the kind of steps that you take in your head of knowing what you're looking for and then how to find them? Yeah, I think you have to have two eyes when you're building. What is, you know, your long game of your building and your practice? And then a real ongoing SWOT analysis of what you have in your talent. You know, you've got to know where you're up, up building your talent is all at all times and, and what those gaps are. So sometimes we may say, um, you know, I'll look and I'll be like, it, it might not only be in my team, but it might be in the organization. Well, we really need to understand media better. I need really deep media measurement people um, who have that expertise. Um, or I need a lot of shopper people. They need to how to go like really quick direct to sales. So I need a lot of shopper and e-commerce people. Um, and it's not necessarily that those people have that on their you know job title. They might just have it in their experience. So, you know, I I think that's another little flip, too, is it's less about job titles and more about people understanding environments, understanding clients. And then you look to hire people, as I said, who, or as as my son says, as and one, can plus you. Um, What can they bring to the table that you don't know or understand? Or how can they make our practice better? It could be a skill set. It could be a technology. um, It could be a channel. Um, for us right now, I'm always, I, th- I think at BBDO, we're always asking what's next. So you're always sort of moving the peg once further um, to what it is. And then the other thing I say is, you know, talent's hard to keep. Um, and you've got to be loyal with them and, and, and make sure they're super rewarded. So I also find investing in talent and investing in what they want to learn and develop is is pretty critical. And um, what, what do you mean by that? Like, uh, how do you think about investing? I don't think there's anyone today or that there should be anyone today who is not taking, an, especially in the practice we're in right now of marketing science, who is not taking a course or going to a seminar or learning a new skill. So to me, that's like table stake requirements. I also think um, not only to you know, support and encourage that, it, it, it helps, you know, the employees as well as it helps the business. Because I think it's, it's that exposure, it's that people come back and share more. And 
you know, the pace of change out there right now is so fast. Um, and I think it's, we all need to keep up with it. It's a good way. It's a win-win for both in that way. That's great. One of the things I love as sort of a, a, a practical question is, um, what do you, you mentioned your early morning workout routine. What's your early morning, like mental fitness routine or in, you know, what, what's your go-to set of media or, you know, what do you make sure you read before you get to the office? <laughs> it's funny. I've been, um, doing a lot of like detox off actually, <laughs> really. Um, I found that like I try, um, because home time, uh, you know, I feel like I've been traveling a lot, but like even with my kids who are home, like mornings are kind of precious. Yeah. So I try to get up early before they get up, work out and try to be present at home kind of. Um, and then I think once, uh, my routine is on the train. I read um, everything from the Daily Skim to um, the trade updates to check my calendar. Um, I kind of have this little thing going on now of how many meetings can I cancel and not go to? Um, how much time can I make sure I've blocked for myself? Um, so I'm really trying to be purposeful of like that like screen time and that tune out time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean with the, uh, with the detox. Yeah. Is there anything you do as a family to make sure that you're connected, say over dinner or whatever it might be that, um, that helps you to make sure that everyone's not checking, you know, whatever connections they have outside the family? Yeah. I mean, we don't do phones in the kitchen, period. I'm a big cook. Um, we're a big old school Italian eating family. So like shelf phones aren't in the kitchen. First of all, um, we're big on Sunday ritual. I mean, and that is church. That is dinner. That is visit family. That is like family time. Um, and I think that's important. I think also I try, it gets a little crazy when you travel so much and time starts getting warped out, right? Like we have a long weekend, I'm leaving Saturday, I'm gonna be gone till Friday, I'm not gonna be here for most of the break. Like I try to be home and be home. So I, I try to also block special time with Owen. I hear, I think I'm going to a St. John's basketball game, MSG next Saturday, but you know, I mean, <laughs> like try to make time where you can be present and have fun. Cause I, I think that's important. I think the time away is hard, but it's so much more rewarded. Like when you're there, you're not there. And, and, you know, someone once said to me, you know, the rules you make and the boundaries you set will be very clear to everyone. When you break down those boundaries and you start engaging in email, you know, people are going to keep entering those spaces in your life. Make sure you keep those spaces sacred. And I try to. Great advice. Great advice. Um, back to the hiring process, just for a tactical question. Do you have a favorite interview question? Like, do you have a, I don't know, maybe an opening interview question or anything that you always ask because it's like become a, you know, kind of a barometer for you of how people answer a certain thing? Um, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, I, I'm like, who's doing it really well with data-infused creativity? What do you wish you did? What do you think is the next can winner in data um, that you think could have won or you wish won or an idea? Um, I'm personally kind of obsessed with the data awards at can. I don't think they're, um, I think it's an open area for all of us to win. So I'm always sort of asking people and it it does lean into our values around data and creativity, and you get a good read from people how much 
that means to them, especially as you're entering a practice like this. Great, great. Um, I, so speaking of, the, of data and creativity, I wonder if obviously the space is, is changing so quickly and as you said, the, the award opportunities are wide open, that you know, isn't a benefit in and of itself, but it's recognition of people who are breaking new ground to help their clients move things forward by, com- by fusing data and creativity. But I wonder if you could, if you have like a favorite example from the past couple of years of where you've said, there, it's clicking. Like we've, we've got it now. This is an example where, you know, the insight came out of something um, that we wouldn't have had before, or we came up with something we wouldn't have done before. Yeah. Um, I do have a BBDO favorite case study. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I think Hunger Rhythms is great. I think Hunger Rhythms is a great I mean, it's it it is two years old, but I mean, I mean, it's a great way um, to really pull it all together, um, and I think it's using a lot of practices that are hot today. So I think that's one, right? I mean, they they partnered with Seven Eleven, they took over Twitter, they used an insight. It was data, but it was nimble. Um, you could track it back to sales. I think that's all interesting. I think what people get caught up on the data part of it is like kind of like one and done. And, and what I think the opportunity right now is, is how do you use data to continually inform and not just use it for a stunt or um, one insight or an Instagram? How do you really pull that through? And then the data you learn, you optimize again. And then you pull it through again and you optimize again. Like how, how is it continual? And I, I think that's the evolution of it. Um, so I, I think it'll, that's what I'm hoping um, we'll see more of this year. Okay. Um, so building on that subject, when you first came to BBDO, I read, um, I, you know, I went back and read some of the articles of your arrival and there was something you said in one of the articles, which was, I don't think analytics sits in the back. It sits in the front. So now three plus years later, how do you feel about that? And where do you think you are in making that happen? Um, yeah, I think we're at the table. I I mean, I, you know, someone, said the other day, they're like, wow, you lucked out. Um, And to your point earlier, it's a little bit of luck, but I think the worlds are converging. I think um, data and analytics now is critical, not just for us, but we have to remember our clients are forced to report on their results and their sales immediately. And you can't do it without that. So um, that's super important. I also think internally at our brands, they're not sophisticated in it and they need our help. Um, and then lastly, it's a really scary and complicated jargony thing out there. I mean, we can talk about the media mix modeling, the propensity modeling and the dynamic programmatic creative that optimize. I mean, it's really hard to understand. And what I try to do in this role, and I think the, uh, it's kind of like what BBDO's core value is. Let's distill it down and make it simple. And let's make it relatable so clients can understand and we can all get to that comfort level and solve it together. So I do think it today absolutely sits at the table. And I, I, what you watch, CTOs and CMOs are going to get together faster than before. Um, CTOs are getting all the money. CMOs are losing the money. Those disciplines are going to merge. And, and technology is going to be a critical part of that sophistication model, I think. That's a great prediction. And um, 
it makes it it makes a ton of sense when when you say losing all the money you mean spending it right so the the, the view inside of a company right. is like oh the CMO is a cost and the CTO is a uh, a revenue driver and that's gonna that's gonna be more of a some kind of intertwined role and I think since the sophistication of measurement internally hasn't always been there they can't always prove the value when they get in front of the CFO and the CEO right. Um, where CTOs are built on ROI and, 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 you know, investment that way. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. So jumping to another leadership topic, um, a couple, a couple things I'm wondering, uh, for your perspective on what, um, what, what do you try to do as a leader to create a culture in your own you know, when you started offices, create a culture in the office, or now that you're, you know, running a big group within an office, what do you, do you have things that you kind of consciously try to put in as part of the program that make people want to come to work, that make people love being there? Um, well, first I would say as a leader, how you show up matters. Um, I, and I'm still working on this, I'm not perfect, but I try not to have that like stressed out, oh my goodness, face, because that face when you show up in the morning is actually the face everyone's gonna manage to that day. Um, hence the morning routine, hence this happy smile, hence the open door. Um, I think, and that's what I love about this place. I, I love the energy, I love the positive, and I love the trust. Um, so I, I try to encourage that environment. And I also think it shows that I'm in an environment that I can walk into David and Kirsten's office and just say, I got a problem. I got to talk to you. Or I'm not going to have a good meeting tomorrow. <laughs> Want to make sure we're all okay and I need some help. And not be afraid to ask for help. So I think it, it goes both ways. Your, your work environment is critical. Your leadership style is critical. And then the last, what we try to do is we have a weekly status. We try to keep status to a 15-minute stand-up. And the last 45 minutes, each person is to bring a new innovation um, of what they've seen or read and ideas around it. And it's, um, it's at first I thought it was going to be a pressure on everyone, but everyone really loves it. That's um, great. It's gotten a little competitive. So I think that's been a really good win um, for people of like, you know, what's new and different. I love that. That's a great, that's a great practice. Something anyone could, uh, could put into place no matter what size your team is. Yeah. And like cut those status down to like 15 minute, like get really agile and standups on those. Great. Um, um, I just have one more building on this topic of, of being around great leaders and whether they're specific people or not, are there things that you've learned along the way from great leaders that you've stolen and said, that, that's something I'm gonna start doing, or vice versa, things you've seen where you've said, that person is really affecting morale in a negative way, and I'm gonna make sure I don't do that um, you know, throughout your career that you now apply. Yeah, I mean, let's say I've been in the business, what, 27 years? You know, my first boss smoked a cigar, drank scotch every day at five o'clock in the office and blew smoke in my face and said, I don't believe you're going to change the world at all. Um, so, you know, you have to turn around and be like, it's not personal, it's work. You know, you have to believe in yourself. And there, there were a lot of teachable moments in the beginning of my career that if I listened to everything ev everyone said about me, you know, I probably wouldn't have kept going because 
you know, it's like kind of what I said to my kids, like bullies just grow up. They don't want you to succeed. Not everyone wants you to, you know, to, to succeed and go further. So you have to be your biggest advocate. So that's the first thing. And I've seen plenty of bad behavior um, through my career. But I also have seen, um, you know, really inspiring behavior. And it, it's part of my, you know, work with BBDO that I'll, you know, I remember my husband saying to me, like, really, you're going to talk to David Lubars on a regular basis? And I remember we left the pitch. And, you know, it's always not only how you show up, but what you say after. And I remember David said, win or lose, everyone here killed it. And I wanted to thank everyone. You know, he's the way people speak to people and thank you and connect with you and have time with you. I mean, those matter a lot. And I try, I'm not always perfect, but I try to always slow down and start thinking like, let me just, before we get into the details, whether this meeting goes great, I just want to say thank you because I know you're killing yourself. And I I think those are important things um, to remember. And that's really what great leaders do. They connect with you and and they know what you do matters because we just want someone to notice us and make sure it really matters. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tina. Well, um, you've been so generous to give us this hour. And as someone who is a builder and is a change agent and all the things you've accomplished, um, we are really grateful for all the practical tips and inspiration you've given us. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Awesome. And I will see you soon, very soon, I hope. Yes. Take care. Enjoy the day, guys. Thanks again, Tina.